0: Hello everyone, this is Pastor Damien. You're listening to Sermon Audio from New City, Orlando. At New City, we believe all of us need all of Jesus for all of life. For more resources, visit our website at newcityorlando.com. Thanks for listening. I want to introduce Ryan. Two weeks ago in our New City app on the news section, and I know many of you have gotten it because you've reached out to Ryan and Sierra or to me and saying we're so excited to hear of a new pastoral resident Coming on staff, Ryan. Now, I want to take just 30 seconds and tell you about what is pastoral residency. If you'd like to know more, I recorded a 25 minute episode on our podcast with Nate, and you can go listen to what is our vision of pastoral residency. Oftentimes, when you hear the word resident, if you have a context for it, it's probably in the medical field. There are medical residents. Well, if you don't know, medical residents uh, are graduates of medical school, so they go to medical school for four years, and then they come and they train in a hospital uh, under attending physicians, physicians who have been uh, doing this for quite some time, and that's good news to all of us and to them, because what it means is when you graduate from school, you don't just get unleashed on the public in the hospital. Rather, you're trained, and over time, your scope of responsibility grows, Similarly, at New City, our vision is for pastoral residents to be graduates of seminary. And so Ryan, just this May, graduated from RTS here in Orlando and to join us for a three-year period of time where he's a real pastor with real responsibility, but he's apprenticing Ben and I and the elders and learning from you as a congregation. So Ryan and Sierra are here for the next three years, and the vision is that we would take these residents; they would be our pastors serving alongside of us, and then send them to other PCA churches, having been trained and apprenticed after seminary. So that's our desire. So you might be saying uh, that sounds a lot like call, form, send. And if you weren't saying that, now you are. Right? So our pastors also call, form, and send you and make you as disciple makers, but also our pastors train pastors. So we call, form, and send future pastors, and Ryan is our inaugural pastoral resident. So let's give Ryan and Sierra a round of applause for, for joining us. There's also a podcast episode where I just interview Ryan, and that's on our Equip podcast. And we talk about his family, where he and Sierra came from, how long they've been married, how many kids they have, all of the things. So please go and listen to that. You'll see Ryan and Sierra around. I know that you'll welcome them and encourage them. Now, I know uh, Ryan, uh, I know what it's like to preach for the first time uh, in a new church. And so uh, be as hard as you possibly can on him after this, okay? Come up to him. Keep your list of negative feedback. He'd love to hear that after the sermon. Just kidding, of course. Ryan, we're excited for you to to open the word of God for us this morning. So let's stand as I pray a prayer of illumination. Remember, it's not our intellect that we rely upon. It's the Holy Spirit opening our minds and hearts, not just to understand God's word, but to obey it. Let's pray together. Creator God, may your Holy Spirit shine your light, awakening us to your word and the living of your radiant truth. Through Christ, our victorious Savior, amen. Please remain standing for this morning's scripture reading, which is Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head, This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
1: Well, good morning, it's so good to be with you all. And as the um, inaugural resident, I hope that you don't experience the next 30 minutes or so as a um, sort of messy operation. Um, Our twin daughters, you probably saw them on stage uh, just a few moments ago. Rylan and Sayla, they were the two standing just in front of us. They turned four today. And um, I think that means that they're on their way out of the toddler stage. I hope that's what that means. Um, But for those of you who have toddlers or know toddlers or have nieces or nephews, um, you know that one of the phrases a toddler owns more than anything else is, let me do it myself. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with the desire for independence, and as parents, we actually want our children to grow up and be independent. That's a good thing, but when it comes to the creator-creature relationship, distance from God is not as desirable. Yet as we grow up, as we get older, we still find ourselves in the let-me-do-it-myself mentality. Maybe you're having trouble balancing uh, homeschooling children while working from home, but you're afraid that asking for help is going to make you appear needy. Maybe you're going through a particularly rough season emotionally, but um, you need to keep it on a need-to-know basis because if you let anybody know, you're you're afraid you, you might appear weak. Maybe money is tight right now, but you're okay with taking on just a little bit more debt because you have an image that you feel that you need to keep up. Whatever your specific experience is, from an early age, life becomes a journey of trying to lift our own heads. Something we like to say around here at New City and that we truly believe is that um, all of us need all of Jesus for all of life. And this sounds nice, sounds sweet, but do you believe it? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can easily find ourselves thinking and living like only some of, some of us need some of Jesus for some of life. Well, as we come to Psalm 3, what we find is that God wants to be our shield, our glory, and the lifter of our heads. So this morning, I want to look at our text under two headings, and the way I want to break this down is essentially looking at, by looking at David's circumstances and David's response to those circumstances. But we'll call these two points a sovereign sorrow and an uncommon faith. A sovereign sorrow and an uncommon faith. And under our second point, we'll look at three uh, marks of what an uncommon faith looks like. So our first point this morning is a sovereign sorrow. And we're going to pull this from the first two verses of our psalm. Look with me at the first two verses. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. What I want us to see here is this, that God is with us in the most painful moments in our lives, even when the reason for the pain we're experiencing is our own doing. Let me unpack that a little bit. Um, Just stop and think on that for a moment, though. Um, In every other religion in the world, the chief god or deity of that religion distances himself from you or I or from the one who trips up. So if you make a mistake, that god is further from you. Only Christianity can claim that god comes closer even when we do our best to mess things up. And that's exactly what's happening here in our psalm this morning. David has just been thrust out of Jerusalem by his own son, Absalom. And there is an element of injustice here, that's for sure. Um, Is the circumstance circumstance sorrowful sorrowful? without a doubt? Without a doubt. But back in 2 Samuel 12, we learn that in some sense, David actually brought this upon himself. In 2 Samuel 10, David is in one of the lowest moments of his life. He has a good friend and the commander of his army, Uriah, murdered so that he can sleep with his wife Bathsheba. But even after David repented, the prophet Nathan had these words for him. The sword shall never depart from your house. Where David finds himself in this psalm is a place of his own doing. And there's no one who he feels he cannot put in the category of enemy, perhaps even including God. Sometimes life can be so heavy, so dark, and certain seasons can feel never-ending. And in these moments, we can find ourselves thinking and asking, is this where God wants me? Does God want this for me? Is he punishing me? You know what David's enemies want more than anything else? Look at verse two. Many are saying of my soul, David says. They want David to doubt. They want to convince David that this mess is too big, that he screwed up too big this time, that he is too big of a sinner for God to reach. They don't come at him primarily with swords and weapons, but with words. Uh, One of my favorite passages in the New Testament comes in 2 Corinthians 12, and it's where Paul speaks of uh, this thorn in the flesh that um, he's been given, and it's made life and ministry extremely hard for him. So hard, in fact, he pleads with the Lord three times that he would take this thorn away. And Jesus' response is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul's like, okay, then I'm just gonna boast in my weakness. And then he says, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. And what's significant here is that word rest is the same word that is used in the Old Testament of the Shekinah glory, the cloud that followed Israel by day and at night by fire. And it, that cloud represented the visible manifestation of God's presence. I love what Ray Ortland has to say about this. He says, so where does the glory of God reside and rest and dwell in this world right now? On an afflicted believer who is at his or her end, wondering how do I even go on? When we find ourselves feeling like we're outside the presence of God, that is often when Jesus is most near. Jesus says, a bruised reed I will not break. And maybe you feel like you've messed up this week. Maybe you're just in a season that's so dark, all you can say right now is, uh, just like David, oh Lord, how many are my foes? I can't number them. Maybe you have questions like, if you really love me, why am I sick? Why are my children sick? Why does every relationship I enter into seem to fail? Whether you're wrestling with sin or sorrow, know that Jesus is moving towards you. So point one, a sovereign sorrow. Point two, an uncommon faith. And we're gonna get this from the remainder of our verses three to eight. We've seen that God is with us in life's most painful moments. He's sovereignly guiding our sorrows and we've noted that he allows us to walk the path of sorrow so that we might learn to depend on him all the more. And that's exactly what David does in the following verses. He displays what John Calvin calls an uncommon faith. And so in our remaining time, I quickly want to look at three marks of an uncommon faith. How ought we respond in moments of sorrow? So the first we're gonna get from verses three to four, and that is remember. The first thing we see is that an uncommon faith remembers. It remembers the kindness and the goodness of God in the past and so remains hopeful of the future David says I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill David remembers a specific time in his life when God showed up when God's faithfulness to him was visibly on display now here's the catch and this is where it gets tricky it's easy to say remember but it's not easy to remember God's goodness or even God alone in moments of crisis it's actually very hard to do. I remember um, years ago, probably about five years ago now, my wife and I were in a car accident coming home from playing golf. That's the only time we've ever played golf. And that's what we got. Um, We were in a turning lane, sitting still, waiting to turn onto the road that would take us to our house. And um, we got hit by a driver going 50 miles an hour at a dead standstill. Our car was totaled. He hit us so hard, actually, that we hit the car in front of us, and he hit us again because his foot never came off the accelerator. We had just found out that Sierra was pregnant, pregnant weeks before that, and it took us a while to get pregnant. So, so long, we were actually considering seeking medical advice, and so when that happened, we felt like something really good was about to be taken from us, and in that moment, I didn't pray, I didn't recite scripture to myself, I wasn't singing a hymn it's really hard to remember the goodness of God in moments of crisis. And so we need other means outside our own strength to remember God's faithfulness to us. We need consistent, regular, and automated exposure to this. And it's one of the reasons that we practice the common rhythm here together. I remember um, just when I first started seminary, I had been reading a book that wasn't part of a required reading list. Um, I was just, just night reading, and it was called The Body, A Guide for Occupants. And the author is Bill Byron. Um, And in it, he talks about the complexity of the human body. And he says this. He says, we spend our whole lives in one body, yet most of us have practically no idea how it works and what goes on inside of it. Could we not say the same thing about the body of Christ? Many of us spend our entire lives in one body, And we're unaware of how it works how it functions what it's supposed to do the common rhythm is a reminder of how the body works we bless we break bread together we pray for one another we take every opportunity to remind each other of god's goodness and his faithfulness to us so an uncommon faith remembers is the first point the second point that we're going to look at this morning comes from the next two verses five to six and it's that a common faith also relinquishes or excuse me an uncommon faith an uncommon faith remembers and it relinquishes it relinquishes all control and look what david does after he remembers god's faithfulness to him in the past verse five he sleeps the dude takes a power nap And I think there's something that we ought to hang on to here, and it's this, that sometimes the greatest action that we can take is actually inaction. Sometimes the most faithful thing we can do is nothing. But this is difficult for two reasons, and one is because we live in a self-help world. There exists a book, a podcast, or um, a YouTube channel to fix any problem that you have. If you have financial troubles, there's there's a YouTube channel for that. Marriage problems, there's at least three or four bookshelves in any given book, bookstore that you visit. If you have rebellious children, there's a book for that. There's a podcast for that. Our culture is encouraging us to fix our own problems. And you know what the best part about it? Nobody has to know that we have any problems. The second reason that it's hard to relinquish is that we often feel that we're not doing something or that we um don't deserve to be helped if we're not doing something if we're not breaking a sweat if we're not working hard then we don't really deserve any help we have to earn it in other words god helps those who help themselves have you heard that before it's one of the most damaging things that you can tell a christian is that god does not want to help you unless you're ready to help yourself um i don't know if groupon is still a thing but about 10 years ago Um, I spent quite a bit of time on the app in uh, my undergrad, my early college years. And I was on there not looking for things but experiences because you could actually get some pretty cool experiences um, at a discount on that app. Um, And I remember being interested in discounted flying lessons and only now am I realizing that's like a really awful idea. Um, (laughs) But I, I didn't go through with it. And one of the reasons is because... In order to get out, in order to graduate from those lessons, you have to get out of a specific scenario, and in that scenario, in one of your last flights, the pilot actually shuts off the engine, and you have to get yourself out of it. That didn't sound like an ideal situation to me, Um, but the reason they do that is because there is no position that a student can get that plane into that the pilot can't get them out of. David is reminding us of the same thing here. There's no scenario in life that God cannot get you out of. In fact, by not giving control to God, what we can be saying is, I don't trust this stuff to happen unless I do it myself. Brothers and sisters, the only time we're truly beyond any reach of of danger is when we're resting and trusting and relinquishing control to God. So an uncommon faith remembers, it relinquishes, and lastly, it calls God to action. It requests. And we get this from verses 7 to 8. Look with me at verse 7. David says, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Why? Because verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Blessing belongs to the Lord. One of the things that um, Pastor Damien and Pastor Ben invited us into last March during the New City Next presentation um, was to, over the next three to five years, um, depend on God more. Um, If you're not familiar with the New City Next presentation, you can go on New City's YouTube channel, and I think it posted on March 27th, so you can get caught up there. But Pastor Damien asked the question, what would our church look like? What would Orlando look like? What would our lives look like? if we depended on God and asked him to do something that only he can do. Well, that's essentially what David is doing here. He's asking God to deliver him from a situation that is absolutely dire and hopeless. And he's coming to God, here's the important part, and this is what I want us to catch. He's coming to God not with generalizations, not with half-hearted prayers, but with specific requests how often do our prayers sound something like this? God, would you be with me? God, would you protect me? God, would you keep us safe this week? There's absolutely nothing wrong with simple prayers. Those are a good thing, and there's a time and a place for those. But God desires that we recognize his bigness, so to speak. That he's more capable of just being with you He's able to be with you in specific ways. He's more than capable of protecting you. He's able to protect you in any and all circumstances. God delights in our specificity. Um, Last year, my wife and I knew that we wanted to try for one more child. And um, we had three girls at the time, and we were praying for this. And we were wrestling with the question of, Do you think it'd be weird if we asked god for a boy do you feel like that would be weird and we felt like in some sense that if we didn't we wouldn't really be acknowledging how um big god is or his ability to provide in that way but at the same time we felt like if we asked for a boy and we got a girl that somehow we would be um we would come off as um upset or those of us who knew that we were praying for that might think oh you know poor ryan and sierra they got another girl which was absolutely not the case because girls are the best. Um, But we decided to go ahead and ask for a boy. And that little boy was just baptized right here about 20 minutes ago. And I tell that story not to bring attention to me, but to God because God doesn't just wanna protect you or bless you or keep you safe. Those are all good things, but he wants to protect you and bless you in meaningful ways. When you ask God for specific things, you will experience God in ways that you never have before. No one else is capable of being more personal with you than Jesus. He knows exactly what you need before you even ask him, Matthew 6. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask and think. We don't even have to to bring our requests. He knows us so well that he, he can get in our head and he knows exactly what we want. Ask him for those things in your life that are burdening you. What prayers have you given up on praying? Ask him again. Call God to action and don't be afraid to be specific. So we've seen that Life is full of lamentable circumstances, and we've seen what an uncommon faith looks like, how it works out when it finds itself in those circumstances. And that is, an uncommon faith remembers, it relinquishes, and it requests. Now, I want to finish with an illustration about the planet Neptune, and admittedly, this is not my own illustration. I got this from a pastor who I enjoy listen, listening to quite regularly, but um, I heard it earlier this month, and it just kept coming up, and I, I couldn't help but think about how well it fit uh, the context of this sermon. Um, his name's Sam Albury, and he's a pastor at Emanuel Church in Nashville. Um, but I think it per- fits perfectly here, so I want to share it with you guys. Uh, Neptune was the first planet to be discovered not by observation, but by mathematics, Up until its discovery, most planets were found simply by someone pulling out a telescope, looking out their window and saying, oh, that's new, I'm going to put that on the list. But Neptune was discovered by a guy named John Couch Adams from Cambridge in the 1840s, and he was busy looking at another planet when he noticed an irregularity in its orbit. It wasn't following the path that it should be following. There was a certain point where it would sort of dip and move. And he figured that that must mean there's another object or planet even, that was tugging or pulling on it and altering its path. And he was able to use various points of data that he collected to figure figure out exactly where this planet must be, and it was Neptune. And what I want to pull from this, what I want us to grasp, is that the world should look on us, Orlando should look on us, and they should see what appears to be irregularities. Irregularities an altered path. They should notice something uncommon about the way that we're experiencing life and the way that we do life together here. They should see us remembering, relinquishing, and requesting the help and the presence of God, the God who we know has lowered his head so that ours might be lifted. Let's pray. Lord, we have so many opportunities presented to us daily um, that encourage us to raise our own heads. But salvation belongs to you and you alone. We cannot rise up to your blessing. It must come down. And to that end, Lord, grant us an uncommon faith, one that remembers, one that relinquishes, and one that requests in faith and patience.